0: Thanks for joining us on the Cultured Meat and Future Food Show. On this episode, we're featuring Guy Crims, where we chat about some of the highest quality meat in the world and bringing cultured meat to the storefronts. Guy Crims, or better known as Guy the Butcher, is a veteran of the butcher business and the legend in the world of Japanese Wagyu. In 2017 alone, Crims was responsible for bringing 4.3 metric tons of Wagyu beef into the U.S. Crims, a California native, became fascinated with the butcher business when he was 14 after reading The Jungle, Upton Sinclair's novel depicting the American meatpacking industry in the early 20th century. His first job was at a family-owned butcher shop in Pacifica. Crims followed the original owner to a butchery in San Francisco where he continued to hone his craft. In college, Krim studied architecture, not food, although the two passions merged when he worked on a slaughterhouse design project that advocated for the humane treatment of livestock. He continued to blend both roles as a managing partner at Pape Meat Company, and most currently as a managing partner of 1 Henry Adams, which includes Udon Time, Niku Steakhouse, and The Butcher Shop by Niku. In 2017, Crims was invited to tour Japan with the Japanese Wagyu Beef Committee, the only non-chef included on the tour. There, Crims met omakase group co-owner Jackson Yu. Chef Yu enthusiastically introduced Crims to his business partner, Cash Feng, who was in the early planning stages of a Wagyu-focused butcher shop and restaurant concept slated for a space at 1 Henry Adams. As plans started to coalesce, Feng tapped Crims as the master butcher for both the restaurant and the butcher shop concepts. For this episode, we went on-site to the Butcher Shop by Niku in San
1: Francisco. And good morning, here we are.
0: Good morning, yes. We're at the Butcher
1: Shop here in San Francisco, California by Niku Steakhouse.
0: Tell us first a little bit about your background Absolutely. and a little bit more about where we are right now. Exactly.
1: Sounds good. Well, uh, my name's Guy Crims. I was born in San Francisco up on Parnassus in 1970. Um, I've been, uh, in the butcher business since 1984. I read Upton Sinclair's The Jungle when I was 14, uh, which was a treatise on the mistreatment of humans and animals at the turn of the last century. It was published in 1906, I completely began, uh, being fascinated with the industry went down to the local butcher shop in my hometown of pacifica california in lindemar the adobe butcher shop little italian family the bergeros they put a broom in my hand and uh, the rest is history and here we are today
0: cool and so there are many different ways to source meat can you tell us about maybe what we're looking at right here sure and and also how or what what the highest quality of meat is and also what Wagyu is really sure
1: well there's of course all over planet Earth there's definitely a million different sources million different way of doing things highest quality most expensive all these things in my opinion are extremely subjective first of all back up a little bit what I'm doing right now is I'm uh, blocking out some uh, a5 Wagyu uh, Toriyama uh, umami Wagyu and uh, these are an approximate six ounce polished blocks they'll be going to a customer today uh, for an event for the 4th of July. Um, I'll go forward a little bit on that. Um, Subjective being the highest quality of beef or any other protein item. My personal opinion in this industry is that quality comes out of animal husbandry. Uh, You could have, quote unquote, the highest quality product on planet earth, but if the earth isn't being cared for, The animals aren't being cared for. The humans that are producing the animals, really, what do you have, right? There is no anything. There's no heart, there's no soul. So everything in this shop has heart and soul. I've been dealing with some of these farmers, brands, all the way from Japan, each and every item. I know each and every farmer. I've been each and every place sourcing this, as well as all of our domestic products behind all of our USDA Prime Greater Omaha product all of our domestic Corbota from uh, Sioux City, Iowa, as well as our F1 program, First Generation Genetics, which is a cross of 100% A5 Wagyu bull mated with 100% domestic Black Angus cow. That comes from my friend Greg Mueller's farm in Clorinda, Iowa. That is the uh, domestic Imperial Wagyu, some of the finest domestic Wagyu you'll find. So my, my personal opinion is, is, back to the subjective part, is that it's It's about how it is raised and the key is is a lot of people don't understand is the 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 amount of of waste that goes this is from somebody who's been in the business so long this is probably one of the worst things you can do to planet earth is to produce protein so uh, a couple facts uh, you'll see a few different numbers getting thrown out there but uh, I looked a little something up this morning I had read a book in college called the Cadillac Desert Um, I'm not quoting Cadillac Desert right now, but it talked about production of fruits, vegetables, lettuce, beef, pork, chicken, you name it, but a lot of people don't understand. The biggest thing that goes into this is water. So just to give you a little bit of an example here, um, it takes 1,799 gallons of water to produce one pound of beef from birth to death. So, that has to do with raising its feed, what it drinks, everything. So, think about that. That's one pound of flesh. That's basically 1,800 gallons of water just to produce that. So, do that, do the math. An animal, when it comes to slaughter, is almost one ton. How many gallons of water is that? That's basically 2,000 times 2,000. That's 40,000 gallons, right? Am I doing the math right?
0: That's a lot of water, (laughs) right? 40,000
1: gallons of water on a good day. Pork. Um takes five, uh, 176 gallons of water. Um, the water footprint of soybeans um, is uh, 216 gallons and corn is 108 gallons. That is per pound. So kind of interesting. So we go back into the plant-based portion of it. Corn and grains do take a lot of water right. um, also, but in terms of, you know, soybean is a high protein plant source which we all know so um but in comparison i mean what is that quarter third no no. what's yeah i'm kind of babbling right now but i'm not doing math right it's too early
0: well this is a good transition to what we've been seeing a lot of is plant-based meats impossible burger beyond burger right what do you think about these products i think
1: it's great it's a great alternative my oldest daughter she's 26 27 She's been a vegan since the age of 13. So she still desires that flavor. Uh, It's kind of funny, I think it's innate in us. It goes all the way back millions of years in our evolution. You can't breed that out, but she still has that desire for that meat texture, that meat quality. And I think of those products have been coming out for years and years. We have the Garden Burger and all these other things, but now it's getting to the point where they're actually starting to taste as good as beef. They have that savory, fatty signature the scent the smell everything we're, we're used to so
0: do you think that's the uh, um, that's the reason why they're becoming so popular is, is that we are making them taste more like beef absolutely
1: absolutely I think that that's what's attractive about it is because these people do want the choice of not eating uh, an animal right and but they have the ability to do so guilt guilt free right. so I think and I think that that has a lot to do with eating of protein so
0: so let's shift gears to cultured meat. Mm-hmm. When did you first hear about cultured meat and what do you think about it?
1: I heard about about 22, 25 years ago in National Geographic or Discover Magazine. You probably remember, well, you don't remember, you were a kid, but uh, there's, there was a gentleman in the Netherlands that mm-hmm. started doing this a long, long, long time ago. And it's taken this long, this long right. to get to here. Um, so I, I find it very interesting it's almost like I can I was talking to my, my wife last night I kind it almost to going all the way back to the Carter era and us trying to do alternative energies wind solar electric cars and it's only now that it's actually the in, in the true American lexicon because there's money to be made in it right and I think that has to do with everything as long as there's a buck to be made in the United States we'll do it yeah all right um, yeah. <laughs> So.
0: So we discussed some of the problems with traditional animal agriculture, mm-hmm. the water consumption. Correct. What do you see as potential problems with cultured meat if these products do come to market? So
1: cultured meat, yeah, I, the only uh, thing that I think is, is the water, the water signature, you know, where the, the footprint actually, and what is the I don't even know what the what's the waste product, where are they right. dumping? this you know it's like with with the biggest problem with pork production for example is all of the urine and feces it's gotten into the the aquifers uh in the midwest so we're destroying aquifers that have been around since the last ice age not only were we are pulling all that water out of there but now we're putting materials in there that make it unusable so what is the byproduct of Culture means, for example, what is? Right. It? I don't know. And
0: actually, that's a great question. I think a lot of people don't know because right. we're still in the early research right. and development phases. Industrialization of this technology is something we don't even know if it's going to be more efficient than exactly. animal agriculture.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So. And so that that that's a really big question for me as as because in the end, right, you have to sell it. You have to figure out who your market is. And in the beginning, with all technologies, automobiles, airplanes. You name it, televisions, radios, everything that was had some kind of technology in the 20th, 19th, 20th, 21st century, there's always that beginning where the price is so high. But then in the 50s, what happened? Everybody had a TV in their house in a minute right. when the cost came down.
0: Everyone has a car.
1: Right. So there was always that first person or first group of people that actually carried that product. Right? I think we'd like to be the first people to actually say that we have cultured meat we know the price you've seen right. it out there you hear it cultured meat thousand dollars an ounce or thousand dollars a pound or, right because we know that the, the right now the juice is not worth the squeeze literally <laughs> right, until right. the technology gets figured out
0: so, so so let's talk about that a little bit the cuts of meat that we have here mm, they're some of the highest quality what are some of the price ranges that sure, we see in, that's in a in great butcher question locations.
1: you know if you want to just ship right to the uh, Japanese Wagyu, we are the largest retailers of Japanese A5 Wagyu in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, I've been in the Wagyu game an extremely long time um, and with uh, my business partners, a few other people, we, with our importers and exporters, we've pioneered bringing it to the West Coast. Also with that, we buy the most in terms of, um, we basically buy futures on metric tons. There's only 200 metric tons allowed to come over to the, this side of the water every year.
0: Oh wow, it's limited. And we
1: basically purchase about 10 to 15% of that. Wow. So we're, we definitely affect, this small place affects the, the north, basically the western hemisphere, the market, buying market. Um, the price range on the Wagyu, retail anywhere from $79.99 a pound all the way up to $350 a pound. And it always, people ask why the price different. It all has to do with the rarity. So some of them, there's 20,000 head produced per year. Other ones, there's only 36 head produced per year. 36 head. Wow. It's a big, big transition.
0: I mean, rare yeah. is the perfect, yeah, that's crazy. rare.
1: So wow. it's it's rarefied air. You know, one of those things, it's, it's like a, I always tell people, this front counter is like locking into a Ferrari dealership yeah. on the, well, the whole shop is, I'd like to say, but the Wagyu case in particular, they all are high-performance cars, but people are like, Very uh, quick to talk about Kobe, for example. Kobe has an extremely, um, as I was saying earlier, Kobe has an extremely effective marketing program. Um, Up on the wall here, that trophy that's right there, there's only 899 of those that exist on Planet Earth. So it's basically a golf membership that you have to pay $5,000 a year for to have the right or the license to sell Kobe beef. Oh wow! We are the Omakase Restaurant Group and Top Beef Inc. We own two of those licenses, so wow. we basically pay ten thousand dollars a year. So we are allowed to sell Kobe. There's only three thousand animals per year that are distributed with those eight hundred and ninety-nine licensed uh, purveyors. So right. we are we are that. So we can bid on that, basically. So, but it is not the rarest. It is the most recognizable. You had mentioned earlier when you walked in today about Miyazaki. Right. Miyazaki is one of the most trusted brands of Wagyu in the uh, West, but also in Japan. It's very, very, uh, it's a high production, but the quality is amazing. Um, but once again, there's other ones that are incredible. My favorite come from uh, Southern Japan, from Kagoshima, is Satsuma. That's one of the least expensive in the shop, and I love it. So, yeah, we have it all here, though.
0: Wow, that's great. So the clientele for these high quality meats, do you think that they would be interested from a price standpoint, from a perception standpoint, uh, in cultured meat, if you were selling oh, cultured absolutely. meat Oh, absolutely. I
1: think that we, we have the, the market where, especially with the younger people, with the tech people, they would try it because they'd wanna say that they were one of the first people to try it. You gotta remember, we're living in a very instant society, Instagram. People walk in the door and they don't look at me as I'm saying hello as an old retailer, they're doing this as they walk in, right? And I go, hi, how are you today? And they're like, uh-huh, yeah. And all <laughs> they're looking at, we're cooking over here, and you know, they're just doing this. They don't engage the human factor. They want to be the first to have that photo on their Instagram page. They want to be the first person to have tried that, the first person to have tagged that, which I think is great. It's great for us. It's great for social media. That's what Dana deals with on a second-by-second second basis. You know, she's got her thumb on the pulse of the whole Omikase restaurant group. She's doing data. She understands all the graphic. Who's doing what? Which hashtag works? Which one's not? All this is based inside this, you know, I'm saying in the cloud, but it's all based in this little tiny thing here. And it's amazing because all of those, uh, the, the data's in there. You can drag the data. Instagram has it so that you can do it. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing stuff. But the kids are the ones that are going to be interested in this. People my age are going to be like, you know, I'm creeping up on 50. They're going to be like, no. But it's the young people will eat it up. And the other thing is, too, I'm not saying I don't. They have a lot of disposable income to do new interesting things. And they're very, very interested in experiences, whether it's a one-time experience or they decide to do it a hundred times. So I think that in terms of an experiential thing, they would be 100% interested. I know I would be. All right, yeah. Cool. And I'll be able to. No. I have yet to try it, by the way. Here I've been asked by all these people to talk about this, not once has somebody come in here and offered me a piece of their cultured product. So I, I will say this, I am a little disappointed and that's going to go out to everybody who I'm talking to.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of the cultured meat companies are here in the Bay Area, so they're we might like, get them over. <laughs> well, I mean, we can throw
1: rocks. I understand. They're oh, pretty, yeah. They're pretty close by. Yeah. Yeah. We could throw a rock to most of these people. So that's an open invitation to come in and say yeah.
0: hello. <laughs> you know? Cool. So. With cultured meat technology, when you're developing cultured meat, there may be opportunities to make changes in the amount of fat that's in there, Mm -hmm. maybe the shape, flavor profile, Mm -hmm. structure, could be anything. Right. What would you change if you could have full control over creating a new piece or a new cut of meat?
1: Sure. First of all, I I like honesty. Um, And I think that that's the other thing that social media does is that uh, you're forced to be honest, because you can't hide. It. Because now, the scanscape on planet Earth, everybody's got a phone. I'm not gonna get into my conspiracy thing, but guess what, you could map, literally map, this whole area in 3D with every single phone that's just in this two block radius right now.
0: And a lot of the startups around here probably do, right? They already <laughs> do.
1: So the thing is, is why why can't we just be honest about this product? Why are we taking, I know that they're taking cells. the last Conference I had with these guys just a sit down dinner when we were doing a Wagyu tasting on the other side of town over on 16th few months ago. They were talking about taking cells out of the fillet, cells out of the New York, which this is, cells out of the ribeye, cells out of the shoulder. Just on Wagyu alone, and they're culturing those properties. The thing is, is that that's where the good flavor is, but you'll never get the the chew of that. It's impossible. Not every, I shouldn't say it's impossible, but it's pretty impossible to to replicate mother nature so why wouldn't you just let the flavor be the flavor and celebrate the texture of that because they'll never be able to get that those fibers to do that because what they're doing basically is they're making these cells and then they're it's like tofu and then they're straining the water out of the cells and now it becomes like a from what I understand like a little flat cake right and they cut that up so it's it's basically meat flavored what is Cells, right? I mean, it's the cells itself. So, um, I think my my biggest thing of uh, what I'm trying to say here is, is let let the product be the product. Right? You know, don't mess with it. What would be really cool is you could say, okay, we have Japanese A five Kumamoto block of cells. Yeah. Right? I mean, right. just say right. what it is. Right? right? Say yeah. what it is. I think. Competitive- and then and then say we have a piece of Black Angus ribeye. Right. cells that these cells came from like I said the imperial domestic Wagyu came from Greg Mueller's farm this just happens to be a cultured cell from uh, Wagyu steer number X7A who was born you know in let's say today right in what is today today's dates the 2nd of July 2019 but he just happened to be the perfect steer Fifteen years from now, we could still be eating his yeah. cells. He could be the price here. There's the Tajima line for Kobe. They're still using genetics from 15 years ago for for crossbreeding and interbreeding these animals, which is really it. We're still eating basically the genetics of that animal because of cryogenic technology, right? They're harvesting the sperm. They're artificially inseminating cows. So we're still eating him. And when I said his his numbers, like. 8026 six A C. like it's something like that right so but wouldn't that be cool you know right i think it'd be cool and you actually know? you're eating the you're it's like drinking wine or, or you know uh, a remy or something like that with it's got you know some cognac that's got some brandy from the sixteen, seventeen hundreds 1700s mixed right. in right so now we have that perfect animal and now his genetics are 20 years old i mean you could even do vintages right i mean you get crazy
0: you could get crazy yeah. and, and the, i think the japanese, the do, wine, that the japanese right. do that already japanese
1: do that already yeah. so it's a maternal line and uh, I have some of the some of the, uh, the uh, nose prints and all of their documentation up there but the genetic line always goes back to the, to the mother very some of the lines go back six seven eight generations 40 50 60 80 years of genetics and that's just through animal husband good old-fashioned animal husband right. Right? but now we're doing that on a whole nother level we're doing it in a tube. It's pretty cool. Or a petri dish, I guess. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, nowadays, the comparison is more to a, a brewery, like yeah. when you're making beer. Correct. Because it'll Correct. be in larger scale. Correct. So.
1: I see it as, I don't know how the technology works, but in my mind, you've seen how they do the blue-green algae and how they do it. Um, you know, those big uh, tubes that are kind of hanging. Right. I don't know. Is that the same way they do this stuff?
0: So many startups are doing different things yeah. that we don't know what is the, the perfect method yet. Right. So there's actually a company in Japan and they're growing individual um, organs, for example, in different uh, areas. There's so the other right? thing too, right? Oh yeah, I mean Which that's... Is, that's where it's at. A Huge industry too, right. outside of just the, the cuts that everyone... I could everyone... use a new liver, right. for oh, example. Yeah, so. and, and that's where this technology originally came yeah. from, is yeah. from medical tissue Correct. culture. So, it's pretty
1: neat, you know? Yeah. Why not take it to that next level? so can I ask you a question what's the why I mean I know this tech place, but but what spurred this in California of all places like you wouldn't it's just we're so touchy-feely around here you know you gotta remember you know I was raised by wolves as I had said dad's a biker my mom's a hippie you know product of the 60s but you know there's always that kind of revolving around dancing around us using our canines and our thumbs And I'm all for care and respect and love the animal as you can see around we display it because of my personal reverence for these animals giving it up but i'm just very curious why san francisco is embracing this technology right now is it because all these other technologies are being embraced self-driving cars of course iphones all these other things that are like well everybody's working on everything else why don't we work on this i'm asking you yeah so
0: i think that it's because of the investment dollars that we see in in Silicon Valley and you know in 2013 years after the original Dutch scientists explored opportunities Mm -hmm. to do this another Dutch scientist created the first burger in 2013 Mm -hmm. the burger cost $300,000 just for one burger right Right. but that was funded by the founder of Google right and a couple years after that two years after that the first cultured meat company was actually founded in San Francisco and then we started seeing a wave of, of these companies. Cool. That professor that created the first burger ended up creating a company himself. Good. So my answer to you is, I think it's just the amount of investment dollars right. is heavily putting uh, investment into this category. But we're also seeing a lot in Singapore. Singapore is doing a lot for the food system. Uh, like I mentioned, Japan, uh, the company in Japan is working with the NASA of Japan, JAXA, JAXA to, yes. to do it there. So um, I think it's an exciting time, and we're in a very exciting place too. So
1: that's the other thing too. I'm going to say something crazy. I'm a real geek. It's, this is the 50th anniversary of what this year. Very geeky. Come on, help me out here. 50th anniversary of something big that is one of the biggest reason why we're allowed to be here today with these with cultured meats. Come on, help me out here. You're young uh 50 what did we do 50 years ago that changed 50. the changed the world as a as a as a, as a whole you, you just lost said,
0: me on this one you
1: just said japan's japan Texas, NASA, nasa so what did we do 50 years ago were we
0: on the moon 50 yes, years sir. ago 50 years Was ago Wow. Right. Uh,
1: so we wouldn't be allowed to tap this conversation even, right if it wasn't been all the computers in front of you, all the phones all this stuff yeah we wouldn't even be able to dream this stuff up look how far we've come in 50 years yeah that's crazy. It's my lifetime yeah right i was born in 1970 it's kind of weird to think that now you know you'd go down and talk to uh you know bob the butcher at the local shop he had a cigarette hanging out of his mouth cutting a steak you know talking about your wife and kids which we still do not with the cigarette and then we do all that but the thing is now we're talking about cultured meats right and that's the other thing too we're going to be doing a whole bunch of space travel we're going to be going to mars some of the outer planets here soon but mostly Mars, right? We got to have protein. We're going to be doing this there too.
0: We're not we shipping, a, or we're not, we're not, we're not shipping, yeah, meat, we're not shipping a cow we, over there, right? <laughs> but we
1: could bring, but we could bring cells on a small level. We have water on Mars, right? Locked up in, in you know, planetary ice you know, that's on the poles or underground, as they're saying. And guess what? We have protein. Yeah. We have plant based protein and we also have animal based protein. So it's a big deal yeah it's really cool if you start to think about the implications of of what it is so yeah because we will be farming on mars maybe within your lifetime not mine i'll be dead and gone so
0: we'll see what kind of farming that is yeah Yeah. that will be
1: that the farming will be in its in a you know that kind of situation so i think
0: so two more questions yeah please for someone who's interested in getting into food technology food industry food tech what advice do you have for them
1: you know, I think that's really good. I, I personally think that you can come at it from a million different ways, but I, I always feel that you have to get your hands dirty first. You have to get in it. You have to get in the kitchen. You got to get in the butcher shop. I mean, it's not just about the love of something or the interest, but you have to know. You have to know. I'm not saying you have to be in the butcher business for 30-plus years. Like you mean, or you have to be a chef for but you really need to get in the trenches to understand. And that's how you you have to do your homework. And that's the thing, like, with this very interesting tipping point that we're at right now, which we're discussing today, is that the people that are in the laboratories working on it definitely need to get out and see what the actual implications are in the end, what's the end user? What is the point? What are we doing? Are we thinking about this shop, for example? This would be one of the first places they could possibly ever even thinking about taking their technology from San Francisco, California, and actually displaying it here. They're not gonna take it to safeway, I'm sorry, Albertson's, Whole Foods. You know, I'm not throwing people out, I'm not throwing them under the bus, but it has to be a boutique. You would have to do it at Cartier to sell it especially we're talking about that one hamburger at $300,000, we know it's not going to be that, but who's, who is your target market and how long it's Moore's law, right? They're developing the technology now. And I'm not your regular butcher. See, I know what Moore's law is. Okay. They're developing the technology now to get it out there. This is going to be 10 years down the road before they have a marketable product. What are they going to do in the meantime? And how long is that funding going to sustain this billions of dollars worth of money is gonna get funneled into this before they even have a product that can come to market right so they got to keep the buzz going until that happens so that's my opinion in the meantime I think it'd be pretty cool if they had somebody selling that product you know on a very limited basis
0: well hopefully you'll see it before ten years time yeah
1: well maybe you could help me get it here you know
0: cool so Awesome. Thank you so much. So you could learn about Guy Crims on Instagram at guythebutcher and the butcher shop in San Francisco at www, oh, www.nikubutchershop.com. Are there any last words that you might have for our listeners? I
1: just want to tell you guys thank you for coming out. Dana, thanks for setting this all up for us. It's a lot of fun. I think that uh, hopefully you guys understand that uh, uh, Alex here that's interviewing me today and the guy on the other side, Guy Crims here, is that it's a different kind of attitude that we bring to the table, um, and I think that we have an association of two of us with something that's uh, very new, very exciting. We haven't even scratched the surface. We're at the; these aren't even baby steps yet. And I think that it's really uh, wonderful. And I'm feel honored that you brought me into the fold on this, and I hope this is the last time we talk. And I hope I see some of your people come in here because you say you're really, you guys are really geeky and passionate about these cultured meats, well guess what, I think you found your match on both sides, so let's try to work together here. It's about the future, because you guys are the future, I'm not. I got another, if I live two more weeks, I'll be all right, so. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. All right, that was awesome.